We are glad you're with us this morning. If you would do me a favor and open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn to the Bible in front of you. There's a Bible in the pew back, and you could turn to page 910. 910. The title of today's sermon is Peter's Sermon at Pentecost. If you've been with us for a while, we're tracking through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 2. The Spirit of God has come down. He has arrived. He is indwelling in the disciples who are in the upper room, and something happens. Something big happens. And we'll see in a minute what actually happens. But I want us to remind us of the key verse of the book of Acts. The key verse of our entire series is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we are about to read is a partial fulfillment of that verse. What we are going to read in verses 14 to 21 is a partial fulfillment of what God has promised in chapter 1. That the disciples, the apostles who are present in the upper room are going to be Christ's witnesses to Jerusalem. They're currently in Jerusalem. Peter is about to get up. The crowd is in front of the house that they're in. They see that the Holy Spirit has come upon them. They see that there's a mighty rushing wind. There are tongues of fire over their heads. And they are proclaiming the good news. And we're about to see the witness of Christ Jesus, the witness of his grace and mercy to the people in Jerusalem. And we're going to see that as a fulfillment of verse 8 in chapter 1 in the subsequent verses. So come with me, Acts chapter 2, on page 910, verses 14 to 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Last verse. If you like to highlight underline, this is the verse that you want to highlight and underline, is verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, this is an interesting part of the book of Acts. Very interesting. Here's why. 
is because of the person who's speaking. If you remember, throughout the ministry of Jesus, Peter was a disciple. He was an apostle for Jesus. And verse 14 says, right, that Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And if you think of that, about that for a minute, you're reminded of the time that Peter was in the boat, Jesus is walking on water, and Peter wants to come out to Jesus, Jesus tells him to come on, and Peter's walking on water, and then the Bible says that he was afraid. In fact, Jesus calls Peter, he says, you are a faithless man, man of little faith. This is the same Peter that when Jesus was about to be arrested is the one who takes his sword out and cuts the ear off of a soldier of which Jesus has to heal in that moment. This is also the same Peter that denied Jesus Christ Three times. Not only did he deny him, but the Bible says Jesus told him, you will deny me. He says, no, 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 I won't deny you. How can I deny you? And he denies Jesus three times. This is the same Peter who was fearful and afraid after the crucifixion. The disciples and the apostles all scattered away, afraid of what might happen, having no faith in God that he would resurrect his son Jesus? And in verse 14, we see that Peter stands up. And what we later find out in Acts chapter 2, that he stands up in front of thousands of people. And he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. This is a great reminder for us. This is an encouragement for us this morning that Peter's testimony, our testimony, is a testimony of God's redeeming power. It's a testimony and a demonstration of the Spirit of God working in faithless people. It is a demonstration of God that he would use fickle, wayward people for the glory of his son Jesus. This is a testimony for us this morning that there is no sin that God can't overcome in our lives. There is no obstacle in our life that he cannot change to use us for his glory and use us for his honor. The testimony of Peter is the testimony of the church, is a testimony of every believer that our past does not dictate our future. Our past sins, our past life does not dictate to us and dictate to God how he can use us. God can still use us today. And we see in verse 14 that God uses Peter, a man who was sinful and wayward and yet brought glory to God in his testimony. Isn't that beautiful? That the songs that we sing today to lift up the name of Jesus, the grace that we proclaim is a grace that has been given to us by faith and we did nothing to deserve it. And yet God graciously gives us power and authority. He gives us giftings so that we in turn can glorify him. This morning we are reminded that our weaknesses and our sin, our shortcomings, our feelings of inadequacy 
are not deterrents of God's grace, are not impediments of God's sovereign work in the life of the church. God can use us. And if he can use Peter, he can surely use me. If he can use Peter, he can surely use you. This is a demonstration once again of the gift of the Holy Spirit using weak people, sinful people, to demonstrate God's power and glory. Because guess what? The crowd that was standing there are not concerned about Peter's past. The crowd standing there observing the work of God are in awe of God's power, are in awe of God's glory. They are not concerned about Peter's past. Sometimes many of us are far more concerned about our past and are concerned about what people think about us that impede us from doing the work of the ministry. When we should realize that it's a demonstration of God's redeeming power in our life. That when people do see our weaknesses, when they do see our past sins, is a testimony of God's faithfulness. That he has saved us. And that he's making us more like him. And that our past and our shortcomings are not impediments of the spirit of God. Peter's message to the crowd that will see is a demonstration once again of God's faithfulness. So what is uh, Peter's primary goal? Peter's primary goal in his message, especially in the first part, is to communicate to the people, the Jewish people, the Jewish community, that the gift of the Holy Spirit emboldens actually Peter, right, to call the Jewish community to repentance. So what we see is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to Peter, but we most importantly see is that the Holy Spirit is now going to embolden Peter to communicate God's grace and mercy, but call the Jewish community to repentance. How do we know that the gift of the Spirit emboldens Peter to call the Jewish world? Not only the people are present, the Jewish world. Remember, the crowd there represents all the Jews from all over the world. And he's calling the Jewish people to repentance. For one, boldness is always evidence of the work of the Spirit in the believer. Boldness to proclaim God's word, boldness to testify of God's grace and mercy is always a demonstration of the work of the Spirit, right? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to draw men and women to Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to stir our affections, to stir the affections of people towards the Son, Jesus. And every time people are emboldened to proclaim the gospel, every time someone feels the urge to share the gospel, that is a demonstration of the work of the Spirit. This is why when we go overseas with our global partners to proclaim the gospel, that is a work of the Spirit. That is not a demonstration of our abilities, our capabilities. It is a demonstration that the Holy Spirit in us has emboldened us to communicate the gospel, to share the gospel, to expand the gospel. Boldness is a work of the Spirit that we see in Peter. We also see in this passage that the gift of the Holy Spirit to embolden Peter to call the Jews to repentance is also in his address. 
verse 14, the word addressed in the Greek is also referenced back to chapter 2 and verse 4, which refers to a spirit-inspired declaration. So in verse 14, when you see the word addressed, the Greek word also points back to chapter 2, verse 4. And the understanding is that the word addressed means a spirit-inspired declaration. We also know that the gift of the Spirit emboldens Peter to call the Jews to repentance is because the Jewish community were present at the day of Pentecost, but we also have to remember the why. Why is Peter calling the Jewish community to repentance? Well, we know later in verses 22 to 25 that we'll discuss at another time that Peter is calling the Jewish community because they have blindly rejected the Messiah. Remember, it is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who has come to declare the good news to the Jews first. And what we know historically is that the Jews have rejected their own Messiah, despite the fact that Jesus fulfills all the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. They rejected him in his ministry. Jesus even said there, I am a prophet, right? I am a prophet without honor in my own home, meaning my own people do not receive me. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees who are well versed in the scriptures rejected Jesus. And what Peter is going to demonstrate in this sermon is that he's going to call them to repentance because they have rejected their own Messiah. But we also know is that we too rejected the Messiah. We, with the Jewish community, with the Jewish believers, rejected the Messiah as well. Why? Because in the waywardness of our sin, we too share the responsibility of that sin when Adam sinned. And because of that, we rejected Jesus. Our story is also shared with the Jews, with the Jewish community, that we reject the Messiah. We reject the Savior. But there's hope in the message of Peter's sermon. The hope is that God is not done with us yet. The hope is in the message of Peter, God is not done with the Jewish people. Though they rejected him during Jesus' ministry, though they crucified him, remember, at, at Pontius Pilate, they told him, uh, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus, let his blood be upon us and our children and our children's children. But the hope is that though they crucified Christ, the hope is that Peter once again is going to point them to the hope that God is not done with them yet. That God still offers them grace even though they rejected the Messiah. The truth of the gospel found in the message of Peter is that he is not done with us yet. There's hope in the gospel. There's hope in the resurrection. He is not dead. He is alive. And Peter is going to show them 
that the gospel hope is for the Jews and for the Gentiles. There's still hope. He's not done with us yet. The day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of God's promises in the prophets in the Old Testament. The day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of God's promises to us today that God is not done with us yet. We also see that Peter in this sermon mentions the day of the Lord. So what we say is the day of the Lord is an important event and time for the Jewish community, but for us as well. The gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost that we see in Peter's sermon is a sign of the day of the Lord, right? In the Bible, the day of the Lord always points to a specific event or special time in history that often conveys and communicates eminence, nearness, something's going to happen. An expectation that God's gonna reveal, God's gonna do something, and what Peter is communicating by quoting the prophet Joel is that he's reminding the Jewish community and also reminding us, the Christian community, that the day of the Lord is at hand. Which means that the day when God's righteousness, God's mercy will be poured out in the Spirit's arrival. So he points to Joel's, uh, Joel's prophecy in chapter 2, Joel chapter 2. And it's a promise, right, that God is going to come back. And it's a promise that the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It is a promise and a reminder, right, that God is still working out his redeeming plan and that it's unfolding as the time goes by. And the whole goal is to move his people towards the end, the day of the Lord, when he returns, when he rules and reigns in a literal sense. And the sign here is the evidence and arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, some might read this passage. They might read Joel chapter 2, and they might say, wait a minute. What is Paul Saying, What does he mean when he says that his spirit, the spirit of God, is going to be poured on on all flesh? Does it mean all people? Every single person is going to have the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that that's not true. Not everyone has the Holy Spirit. The only people who have the Holy Spirit, the only people who have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are people who have been chosen by God, who have submitted to God's lordship and kingship, people who are drawn out of darkness into the marvelous light, people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. So we should understand is that the pouring of the Holy Spirit is for the entire Christian community. He's pointing to the church. He's pointing to the people who believe and we should also understand this by subsequent verses in chapter 2, right? Verse 17 and 18 indicates that the gift of the Spirit is first for the Jews who put their faith in Jesus. The promise about prophesying is for your sons and your daughters, right? Talking about a specific group of people. The pronoun my 
is added to male slaves and servants, female slaves slash servants, indicating that the people who are being referred to are the servants of God, people who have put their trust and faith in God. Therefore, the gift of the Spirit are for those who are truly God's servant, people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Whereas the Spirit in the Old Testament empowered the prophets and leaders of Israel under the Old Covenant, God promises all people, his people, who possess the Holy Spirit in the last days. And in time, we'll see in the book of Acts that Luke is going to show how believing Samaritans, the people in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even the Gentiles in Judea, are going to share in the blessing of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is for the people of God. The people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. But I also want to explain a theological concept also in this passage. It's this idea of already and not yet. The idea is this, that what we see Peter doing what we, and in his sermon, quoting Joel 2, what Peter's communicating is this, that the prophecy proclaimed by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament is happening right now. What Joel is talking about is happening right now, that's Peter's context, but also has not fully happened just yet. It's a already and not yet, that what God is doing among his people what God is working among his people was evidence, right, of God's working power in prophecy. But we also understand this to be that it's not only what he has already accomplished, but what he will accomplish one day. I believe the key for interpreting this section is found in verse 19, right? When he says, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below. These signs in heaven and below um, excuse me, the signs in the heavens and the signs on earth are pointing to the event that will happen one day. Not all the elements that we see in this passage. And, and the truth we told, many people who read this passage are very confused, right? Like, think about it. This is a little weird. Did you see the weirdness in what we were talking about? Blood moons, fire, Vapor, smoke, the sun turning to darkness, the moon turning into blood. Well, that didn't happen in that moment, right? You, we've read chapter one and parts of chapter two. That Luke doesn't tell us that the moon turned to blood and the crowd was like, what is going on? No, what... What, what Peter is doing, what he's showing us, and what Luke is trying to communicate is this, the already and not yet, that the prophecy of Joel is happening right now, but we see it fully later, one day, when God pours out his spirit and unites the church together under, under a literal kingdom, under his rule and reign, the already and not yet, that these are the signs that we'll see one day when God returns and establishes his kingdom. We should also understand this idea of prophecy. This is a hot topic. We're gonna get a little touchy. 
What does it mean when he says, your sons and daughter, daughters shall prophesy? Young men will have visions. Old men will have dreams. What does he mean by the prophecy? Here's what I, here's what I think he's saying specifically in this passage. Remember, we're not drawing two conclusions. If you want to read more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about, you'll find that in 1 Corinthians. But here, specifically, only in Acts chapter 2, only here are we talking about what Paul, I mean, excuse me, what Peter is referring to by quoting the, uh, the prophet Joel about the gift of prophecy, what he's saying is that men and women will declare, will speak forth the gospel. That men and women will proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. They will declare in the end times, including now in, in Peter's context and also later on as history unfolds, moving towards the end times, that they will proclaim the good news of Jesus. That is specifically for this passage. Now, if we want to talk about prophecy and some of the other gifts, well, we'll go to 1 Corinthians. Remember, this is an event. What he's what Luke is doing is describing what is happening, and also, for Peter's point of view, he's describing what will happen. This is not for us to say, well, if that means um, if they're having dreams and visions and they're prophesying, then we ought to do the same because of this passage. No, no, no. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that there's an unfolding work of the Spirit and that one day in the end times, those things will happen. But not now, not here. But I do want us to focus our attention on verse 21 because that's the whole point of Peter's sermon. He's not worried about the the prophecy, the visions, the blood moon, the fire, the smoke. He's not, he's not trying to say those are the most important things in this sermon. The most important verse, the most important part of this sermon that Peter's communicating is verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For Peter, here, if you notice what he's quoting in the Old Testament, when they were talking about Yahweh or Jehovah, they capitalized the entire word Lord, L-O-R-D, in all capital letters. What we see here in this passage, right, that Luke doesn't have all the words capitalized referring to Yahweh. But here's what we do know, that what Peter is referring to here by quoting the prophet Joel is referring to Jesus. He's reminding the people here that is Jesus is who saves. Jesus is the visible image of God the Father. He's the one by the power of the Spirit in his burial, death, and resurrection provides life so that you and I, that the people here in the community can call upon the name of the Lord. Peter's point here is about the Son. It's about Jesus, and it's always been about Jesus. What he's pointing to is this, that everyone 
who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord for grace and salvation will be saved. That is the message of Peter. That is what he's telling the Jewish community. Repent. You've blindly rejected the Messiah, but I offer you one more time the gift of grace and salvation from the Messiah. He's not dead. He's alive. We crucified him, but the power of the Spirit, the Father, through the power of the Spirit, raised him up from the dead. And all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. A beautiful testimony is that the name of the Lord has power. There is power in the name of Jesus. When the Jewish community found salvation in the sacrificial system, when the Jewish community found salvation and worth in the festivals, when the Jewish community found peace and love in their rituals, what Peter is about to proclaim is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things from Genesis to Revelation. He is all the feasts. He is the sacrificial system. He's the one that died for you and me. So what he's saying is, it is Jesus that we call upon the name of for salvation. There's restoration in the name of Jesus. There is hope in the name of Jesus. Psalms 50 verse 1 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. Who is the psalmist referring to? He's referring to Jesus. Every time Israel was delivered from an obstacle, every time Israel was delivered from an enemy, every time God answered the prayers of the people in the Old Testament, it was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who came to their rescue. It was him it was him who called everything into existence. It was the son. Everything points to Jesus. And Peter is going to demonstrate that through the power of the spirit, that there is power in calling on the name of Jesus. In fact, later in Acts chapter 2, Peter is going to say, there is there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. A man who was characterized as faithless, a man who was sinful, a man who we would characterize as not a good guy is the guy that is saying, call upon him. Call upon Jesus. And that is true for us today. That for those of us who find Peter to be similar to us. Those of us who, who at one time been characterized as faithless, faithless. For those of us who, who many times have denied Jesus with our actions. Many of us who have failed in our marriages and how we raised our children, in our relationships with our friends and families, those of us who've failed at our jobs, for those of us who 
continue to struggle with the same sin over and over again. The hope that Peter is pointing to, it's the name of Jesus. Think about that. That the same gospel that Peter proclaims is the same gospel, Jesus Christ, who he rejected and yet is able to communicate the wonders of God. You and I share in that fellowship that we can call upon the name of the Lord. And the only thing we have to do, just like Peter's about to do in a couple of verses, is repent, confess, and believe. That's all. The Jewish community, to be in a right standing with God, had to make a sacrifice to appease God for their sin. And as soon as they did that, they walked away. They, they were back at it again, sinful. Jesus now fulfills that in that he forgives sin. He continues to forgive sins. He doesn't hold your sins against you. You know who holds your sins against you, right? Yourself and the enemy. Your flesh and the enemy tells you you're not, you're not worth it. It's your flesh and the enemy that tells you God can't forgive you. It is your flesh and the enemy that says, your sin is too big. God can't redeem that. But the testimony of Peter is, call upon the name of the Lord. Watch him do it. Won't he do it? Church, won't he do it? Romans 10, 9 says, this is beautiful. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For those who are not followers of Jesus, for those who have not put their faith in Jesus, all you have to do is repent, confess, and believe, just as Peter did, just as I did, just as some of the people in this room have done. All you have to do is repent, confess, and believe. Put your trust in Jesus. The same gospel that was offered to Peter is the same gospel that was offered to us and that is offered to you. The sin that has kept us in bondage to death and sin has been broken. Did you hear what I said? That the sin that kept us in bondage to death has now freed us. And you who do not have Jesus have the opportunity to receive freedom. Freedom from your past. Freedom from the future. And hope for today. And hope for tomorrow. That is the beauty of verse 21. That all you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that God would be so gracious to Peter. It brings me great joy that God would save him because Peter's life and ministry is a testimony to us that God is still in the business of saving the worst kind of people, that God is still in the business of transforming my life into the image of the Son. I thank God that he saved Peter to use him for his mission. 
when you think that you have out God's grace, when you think your sin is too big to be redeemed, when you begin to feel overwhelmed by the effects of your sin, be reminded of Peter's sermon. Call upon the name of the Lord. And I don't know about some of you this morning, but I think it's important for me to remind you that your past life does not indicate your future. Listen to me. Many of you in this room, your past life, your past sin is not a product of who you are. You are not a product of your sin. You are not a product of your past. You are a product of a redeeming God that is redeeming your sins in the past for the glory of the Son, Jesus. And that's not the prosperity gospel, right? It is prosperous for us to know that we are a product of a God who's redeeming everything in our lives. Because if he did it for Peter, he'll do it for you. Won't he do it? Has he not done it? Let's take a moment and pray. Right there in your seat. There are people in this room who have yet to submit to the lordship and kingship of Christ. You have your entire life rejected with your actions and with your mouth and with your heart and your mind, the work of the spirit in your life. And this morning, the testimony of Peter is for you. That God offers you salvation. Think about the testimonies that we heard this morning in the Saturate video. That wasn't a work of the chapel. That was a demonstration of the Spirit of God redeeming people's past for his glory. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Call on him so that you can be saved. I offer you Jesus, only Jesus. I offer you the name of Jesus. If that's you this morning, all you have to do is say, Lord, I submit, I confess, I repent. And for those of you this morning who have accepted and received Jesus, I offer him this way, that God has been faithful, he will see you through, he's redeeming you, your past failures are no obstacles for him to use you for his mission. And if that's you this morning, why don't you just thank God for the ministry of Peter and the salvation of Peter because it's a reminder of what God has done for you. Father God, I lift up every single person in this room and those watching online. For those who have heard the gospel, the testimony of Peter, God, we ask you by the power of your spirit that you would snatch them up, that you would break them, that they will call upon the name of the Lord. And for those who have faithfully pursued you, God, we ask you, that you would invigorate their life once again. That you would remind them that their past sin and their past life was nailed to the cross. They are no more. And that they can faithfully continue to pursue you 
knowing that one day their faith would be realized when they see you face to face. We pray this in Christ's name. The people of God say, we're gonna transition right now. I think it's a beautiful opportunity to take communion. So when you walked into the sanctuary, you've been given a communion cup. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to open it up, take the bread out. The beauty is, right, that this bread that we take is a symbol of God's grace and mercy to you and me. This is a symbol of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what Jesus told his apostles at the Last Supper, he says, this is my body broken for you. Take a moment in quiet reflection. In thanksgiving, telling God, thank you that you were bruised, you were pierced for my iniquity. And I can rejoice in my salvation knowing that you've paid it all. Let's take the bread. In the same way, at the Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples before his ascension, before his crucifixion, takes the cup of wine and he tells them, this is my blood poured out for you. God's blood shed on Calvary for you and me. Let's take it and remember. And in quiet reflection, let's pray. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son. We thank you, God, that as we partook in communion, we are reminded of the finished work of Christ. We are reminded that Jesus, your son, conquered death for us. We are reminded that his blood and body was broken was poured out so that we can be in good standing and in good relationship with you. God, we thank you this morning for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that in this morning, we can call upon the name of the Lord without fear or anxiety, knowing that you have won it all for us, for the glory of your son, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. And the people of God say, Amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, 
Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.